Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. everyone. Hey, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Um, I realized when I was preparing for this message that we were in chapter 7, um, I think last week, wasn't it? Did we talk about prayer last week? We talked about prayer recently, but uh, whenever it was, um, we, we were in uh, Matthew, Matthew 6, I believe. So, uh, But we've been in the book of Matthew, and I want to continue in that and uh, just a thought this morning, this is uh, kind of provoked a little bit by baptism and the call that God has on our lives, you know, that we're we're called uh, to walk with Jesus. And um, in uh, a book that I've been reading by Daniel Borstein, his book, uh, The Image, A Guide to Pseudo-Events in America, it's really it's really interesting book, and I, I don't have time to go into all of what it's about, but it's describing how a cultural shift has taken place in which we create our own realities. And you can see that happening even more and more with virtual reality and, and where video games are going, is that if a person wanted to, they could really escape reality for a while. Uh, it always catches up with us, you know. But you could escape it for a while and live in this sort of fantasy world. And, and when he's writing, he's, he, he wrote this book back in the 60s and he was already beginning to see the cultural shift that was taking place where uh, people were interested in pseudo-events. And one of the things that's happened kind of connected to this is the fact that when news stations don't have a story, they go out and look for one. We've got to make sure there's something to report. It's not about just telling the news or telling what's going on. You understand that when you're listening to news, you're listening to somebody's agenda. And so I, I hope you understand that. Now, I don't want to get too far into that because it would distract us, but... The, the whole point of uh, his book is that we create our own realities uh, based loosely upon reality as it is. And uh, he uh, talks about some inter- interesting observations about going places. And he talked about the change that's taken place between being a traveler and being a tourist. And he says we've moved away from being travelers and we become tourists tourists. And so he shows the distinction between these these two, and it reminded me of the verse we're going to read in just a moment uh, about uh, how there's a difference between two roads. The difference between tourists and traveler, the old English uh, noun travel uh, was originally the same as travail. Did you know that? To travel uh, was initially the same as the word travail, meaning trouble, work, or torment. How many have experienced that before when you've been traveling? Like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. It is, it is problems. When we, we travel, we have to take lots of different things and all kinds of stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But the old English noun uh, travel came from the word travail. And travail traces back to a Latin word, uh, trepolium. Uh, sorry, I should have tried to pronounce that, trepolium which was a three-staked instrument of torture. So travel comes, if you trace the word back, it goes back to an instrument of torture, and maybe you can relate to that. Uh, Travel then was to do something 
laborious or troublesome. When you traveled a lot of times before modern tours and uh, some of the ease of modern travel, uh, it was a real challenge. It was a work. You had to you had to trudge through and you had to make your way, whereas many things today are a lot easier. So a tour a traveler was one who did something laborious and troublesome. The word tourist is a person on a pleasure trip, and it traces back to a Greek word which described a, tru- uh, a tool that was used for making a circle. So think about this. A tourist, uh, it's connected to circle making. All right? So think about the tour. We're going on tour, and then we will return again. The traveler was working at something. The, the traveler was active in search of something. The tourist was a pleasure seeker. The tourist is passive. He expects interesting things to happen to him. Whereas the traveler goes out in search of something in particular. I think of Abraham here, how God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. Do you remember this story? Abraham, you're to leave your your country and your home and your family and everything you know as familiar, and you're to go to the place that I'll show you. And he said, where are we going again? Uh, and God said, I'll show you. How many like it when uh, you get those kinds of surprises? Just pack your bags. We're going somewhere. Tell me where we're going. Uh, and, you know, if you're a control freak, you don't like those kinds of things. God said to him, I'll show you the place that you're going. Now, Abraham had a decision to make. He could stay in place, and he could walk around Ur, the same streets that he'd walked on his whole life, and he could continue to do that. Or he could set out on pilgrimage with God and go a direction to a place. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews that he was looking for a city whose maker and builder was God. God was not ashamed to be called his God because Abraham was a traveler. It wasn't easy. It wasn't living in Ur. We know from the excavations of Ur that it was pretty pretty plush. They had a form. It's not like ours, but they had a form of indoor plumbing, and they had beautiful jewelry, that beautiful establishments. People lived in homes, established homes. Abraham was going to live in a place that he'd never been among people he didn't know, and go about in tents his whole life. Everywhere he went, he built altars in worship of the Lord. But he wasn't a tourist walking the same circular path in life. He was a traveler who set out. Can you appreciate that? I don't know. Some of us like the familiar. Maybe you feel comfortable being a tourist. I want to challenge you. God's not called you to be a tourist, to let things passively come to you in this life. He's called you to set out on a journey and be a traveler. And that means at times going down a path of difficulty. Which one best describes you? Christ is talking about here in Matthew chapter 7 about discipleship. And these passages, going back even to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, these passages, um, as he, he brings this to a close, he's using contrast to make his points. I don't know if you've caught that or not in your study of Matthew and especially the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus likes to use contrasts, and he'll say, this is, this is how it was, but, but I say to you this, or don't be like this, but be like that. And so you get a this, not that kind of thing, or not that, this. Uh, do you follow that? Okay. Uh, not that, or not this, but that. He's, he's trying to communicate to us through a contrast. And so he talks about discipleship, and he uses these contrasts to make a point. Uh, 
as a way of showing two different things and showing that one is right, and if the other one isn't exactly wrong, it's one that fails. Many times it's the wrong one, but it, it fails. Like, for example, uh, he, he talks about the law, and he says, you've heard it said, or, uh, you know, Moses has said this, but I say to you, and he expands upon it, doesn't he? Come on, are you with me? Right? Like when he says, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. Okay? Uh, and what Jesus is saying there is that it's not wrong not to murder, but he's saying, but I say to you, don't be angry at your brother without cause. Don't let anger develop. Anger is the source of murder. And so he's saying this, this particular rule fails because it doesn't get to the heart of things. What we need to do is go straight to the heart, and Jesus always wants to deal with the heart. He's not happy with a reformed behavior. He wants a changed heart. Amen. So, uh, in uh, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about the law, not this, but that. He talks about oaths, not this, but that. Enemies, you've heard it said to you, uh, you know, that you're to love your, your neighbor and your friends. But I say to you, love your enemies, not this, that. Giving, when you give, don't be like the hypocrites who love everybody to see them give. And not this, that. Okay? Prayer, don't be like the hypocrites who love to to stand up and be seen. It's not wrong to pray in public. Somebody one time said to me, the Bible says we're not supposed to pray in public. It says to go in your closet. No, it's making the point, don't do it in order to be seen. Are you with me? So, uh, not this, that, this kind of prayer. And then he talks about fasting, not this, but that. Uh, judging, uh, you're not to judge, but you're to judge who first? yourself, right? We're to judge ourselves first. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and you don't consider the beam in your own? So he's not saying never judge. He says start at home, okay? And then discipleship. He talks about discipleship, that if you're going to be my follower, this is what's expected, and then obedience, that it's not this, but it's that, okay? I want to notice some things here as we look at our passage. Let's uh, read it first. In verse 13 through 14, Matthew 7, 13 through 14, I'm reading from the, the NIV. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. When we see, a, when we see uh, some kind of pronoun, we need to look back and, and see what that circles back to. And the it in that is the gate that he's talking about. The gate is the opening to the path. You can't get to the path without going through the gate. Does that make sense? Okay. So when he says many enter through it, he's saying many enter through the wide gate. Right? And then the second thing he says, but, or uh, now, small, or how small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What are they finding? They're finding the gate that leads to the path. Okay? few people... Find it. Now, it's not a, a hidden thing, and I'll come to that in a moment, but he talks here first about a gate. And a gate, this word for gate can mean door or a gate used to close entranceways or something else, but it's a move, movable barrier of some kind, an offense or a wall. But Jesus is using this metaphorically uh, for the entry to the road to discipleship. He's calling us down the road to discipleship. And the the thing that occurs to us here is that there's a gate at all. 
But he's saying there's a road that we need to walk on. And in order to get on that road, you need to go through the gate. And for Jesus, this gate is a place of decision. The road is the path of life. The gate is the place of decision. Are you going to choose that door? How many times have we seen on our game shows? Do you want what's behind door number one, door number two, or door number three? We have an option here. And the interesting thing about this, this doesn't look like there's that much behind it. I, I tend to think of, uh, I don't know why I think of this, but I, I tend to think of Alice in Wonderland, how she sees the little bitty door and has to shrink down to go through it. And that's much like the door that uh, enters the kingdom, is that it's a door that requires narrowness, that we, we go through. And the gate leads to the path. And really this shows that the path can't be walked without first entering through the gate. Do you understand that you can't be a disciple without going through Jesus, right? That we can't just decide one day we're going to live by Christian principles and we're going to uh, get down and we're going to pray and we're going to uh, uh, go to church and sing the songs and give in the offering. Uh, wonderful if you're doing those things, but that's really not entrance into the kingdom. The entrance into the kingdom has to go through Jesus, no true discipleship can happen. The path cannot be entered until we go through Jesus. Are, does that make sense? I think we all understand that, that, the path of discipleship. Discipleship and all that follows with that follows a supernatural encounter with Jesus in which we're born again. John says it this way, uh, Jesus says it this way in John, that unless you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We have, to, we have to be born again. There has to be that moment that we walk through the gate. We've made a decision. Something has changed, and we've entered on the path of discipleship. So we can't walk it without entering through the gate. You can't walk straight and narrow without coming through Jesus. You know, uh, this relates to something else, is that sometimes people get this backwards, and they think that if they start walking down a particular road, that they're going to earn their salvation, right? If I live this way and I stop cussing and uh, getting drunk, and if I stop uh, running around with people and using blasphemous language and, and all of that, then I can be good enough to enter the kingdom. And that's not how it works, is it? Don't we all know that we have to come humbly to Jesus and have our sins forgiven? And so what, what has happened is people have mistaken the course for the source, all right? You know, Jesus is the source of salvation. The righteous walk that he calls us to is the course of salvation. Does that make sense? And we don't want to get that backwards. The source of salvation is not our goodness. The source of salvation is Christ's imputed righteousness to us. That's the source of our salvation. Now, some people say, well, all I need is the source of salvation. Yes, that's all we need. But when we're called to follow him, we're called to walk the course of salvation, which is obedience. God requires that of us. And so after the gate, there is a road. And, and the other thing about this is, uh, as we enter, Jesus says here to enter, Enter uh, the way that he uses this is an emphatic command. I don't know if you've thought about this. This isn't just an invitation. He's telling us, do this. Be my disciple. Do it. It's the right thing. Do it. In, in Luke's gospel, the way he, he puts this is something along 
along the lines of this, strive to enter through the narrow gate. In other words, seek out the narrow gate and walk through it. That's God's call to us. That's not a works-based salvation. That's saying you find the path to life, go sell everything, embrace it, and follow Jesus. So there's a gate. But then there's a road. I'd like you to notice that after the gate is the road. Enter uh, there's a small gate, and then there's a narrow road. We're going to talk about the distinction between these in just a moment. But the road of discipleship here, this uh, word for road is a way for traveling or moving from one place to another. Wow, pastor, we learned what a road means today at church. It's wonderful. Um, could be a, a way, a road, or a highway. Um, but uh, one of the dictionaries, the Greek dictionary says this is, used figuratively for a course of behavior or a way of life. So he's called us not just to walk down a road, but to live a particular way of life. And here's the interesting thing. When we're walking with God, we're not, we're not uh, experiencing a random occurrence of days. You understand that this isn't like life lived aimlessly, that now that we've walked through the gate, there's a road. And that road has a destination. It's not that we have a series of, you know, unfortunate events or whatever that are disconnected. These are all connected to one another. So life isn't that, that random uh, selection of days, but a sequence in which we're living toward God and journeying towards God. The King James Version has the way, the, the NLT, when it talks about the first one, it says broad is the, the highway or the highway to hell, and it shows us that there's a, there's, a, there's a destination here. There's a road that leads to life and a road that leads to destruction. I'd like you to notice the difference between these two. Notice uh, what it's like. First uh, one in verse 13, it says, wide is the road. Wide is the road, or broad. You could look at that is broad, wide and broad, wide and broad. One has to do with uh, there, there being uh, a very apparent entrance and a broad road. Uh, the second relates to its broadness as pertaining to being broad and spacious. And the implication is that this road is agreeable and pleasant. Okay, So the road is wide. I don't know about you, but I like driving on big highways. Not highways filled with lots of cars, where there's lots of space and openness. I get nervous on narrow roads. Anybody else? Just get nervous. What, why are these shoulders so close? You ever driven on a, a one-lane road? There used to be this uh, highway that went between our city and the, the town we were youth pastoring in the city I grew up in. And we would drive through that. And it came to this, we came into this one county. There weren't many people there. But the highway, this is a U.S. highway. I want you to keep that in mind, a U.S. highway. And there was a particular point at which that highway narrowed to a one-lane bridge. I didn't like that, did you? You got to be awake. You got to know what's coming. Because it's narrow. You feel more comfortable on the spacious highway. They've got all the potholes smoothed out, and it's real nice. The interstate highways, the beautiful ones, the nice ones. That's what this is describing as this broad road is, is easy. It's not just broad, but it's agreeable. It's pleasant. The NRSV, the Good News Bible, says the, the road 
The road is easy. The New English translation, the road is spacious. And so what this points to is, is first of all, that Jesus is making a distinction between two different kinds of roads. There's an easy road and a, a difficult road. What the point is to this is that there's a variety of ways a person can be wrong, okay? But a singular way a person can be right. There are a multitude of things which can can put your faith, uh, you can put your faith in which are wrong, and while there's only one trust which can save you. Are you with me? So broad is the road. When I think of broad, one of the things that occurs to me here is that you can be wrong in a lot of different ways, okay? But to be right, you have to walk a narrow road. You have to go through a narrow, a narrow gate. But the whole world is open to errors. And I, I think that one of the lies of our day that's caught up a lot of people, even some Christians, is that what about all the world's religions? They're all wrong, and we expect in our humility that we're right. How can it be? Well, here we have Jesus himself saying, it's not every way that leads to heaven. And a lot of people say, well, all roads really lead to heaven. You can get through it through another religion and another belief. I think that there are probably some good things in other religions, but the place where they go wrong is what they do with Jesus. Are you with me? And so it's right there. It's not about your religion. It's about who you know. That's life. That's life. So he's showing us that the broad road, there's lots of people on it. It's easy. There's lots of variety on the broad road. But Jesus makes a distinction here between the broad and the narrow. He says there's also the narrow road. Okay, so notice that there's the broad road leads to destruction. We'll talk about where it leads in a moment more. But many enter, enter through that wide gate and walk on the broad road. But he makes the distinction about what the other path is like. And this is the path he's pointing to. And you would expect that it would be opposite. Like, like in conventional wisdom, if you're telling somebody a way somewhere, wouldn't you typically offer them the more easy path? What Jesus is saying is the roads lead in different directions. Okay? And so choose the narrow road. So small is the gate, verse 14. And narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few... Only if you find it. Narrow here is uh, used of a road as narrow confined um, and therefore a source of trouble and difficulty to those who are using it. Another dictionary says this is uh, the same word when it says narrow here that's used for uh, suffering, trouble, or hardship. You might be interested if you go back in maybe your strong concordance and you look at um, not what it says about the gate, but about the road, the narrowness. The word that's used there is related to the word flebo. Anybody recognize that? That word flebo is what uh, is used for crushing grapes. It's also the same word that is used for tribulation in the Bible. So when it talks about that, it's because it presses, it crushes. So when it talks about in the world you'll have trouble, Jesus says this, I think, John sixteen thirty three. In the world you'll have trouble, or if you have the KJV, tribulation, it's in the world you'll have flebo, okay? So check this out. This is the word that he's using here to describe the narrow road. The road that you're to walk on is 
Plebo. How do you like that? I don't think our prosperity preachers have wrestled with that one because there's some difficulty to this. It's, it's narrow, but the beautiful part about it is where it leads, it leads to life. The New English translation says that this road is difficult. Like some English Bible, it's constricted. ESV says this road is hard. It's hard. Okay, I, I think that's, uh, that's interesting. Jesus is calling people to this particular road, but he expects them to choose it. And you and me, too. He expects us to choose it. Like, this is not good advertising, but it's truth. And the thing that wins out uh, here is where it leads. Why is one easy and the other difficult? I think uh, the broad road is easy because of the agreement that you can have with most of the other people who are on it. It's easy because it suits our natural inclination. So if the broad is the broad road's easy uh, and many find it, we can go along that path peacefully with everybody else. Okay? There's no conflict because we're all on the same road. We're all going the same direction. Okay? Can you imagine uh, that picture? We're all, we're all having a great time. It's a, it's a great party as we're headed towards our destruction. It's easy because there's agreement. You don't have to conflict with anybody. You don't have to tell, say anybody's wrong because we can cast all that out the window and just go on down the road. It's easy because it makes no demands of your life. If anybody can be on it and it doesn't require any particular direction in life to go on that, uh, then it makes no demands. And so you can live how you want to. Um, it's fine to, to just be, you be you, and I'll be me, and we can all be ourselves on the road, this broad road to destruction. It's easy. No, no apparent conflict in that. But then there's a difficult road, and it's difficult to go on the straight and the narrow because it requires us to humble ourselves and to repent of our sin and to choose what's right and to do what's good. And this isn't easy, and it's not popular. And one of the reasons it's not easy, because the flesh wants what the flesh wants. And you don't have to make that about one thing or another. There's a lot of things that the flesh wants that run contrary to what God wants. Like, take, for example, uh, if you see somebody in need, and you begin in your mind to make all excuses about why you don't want to help them. Maybe you feel God is calling you to help them, but you make the excuses about why you don't want to help them. And the problem is, is that we, we don't want to get out of our comfort zone. We don't want to give up of our resources. We don't want to step across that uncomfortable boundary and maybe offend somebody. And so we've got all of these reasons. And when it really comes down to it is the flesh often doesn't want to do something that's sacrificial. Can I challenge you today that not everything in following God is fun and easy? Sometimes there is sacrifice, but there's always reward for that sacrifice. We live with purpose. We can be fulfilled. We can lay our head on our pillow at night or at the end of our lives, and we can rejoice in the fact that we've lived a life that was pleasing to God. It's difficult to go down the straight and narrow. It's not always popular to take particular stands. If you want to be a person who stands for what's right and stands against what's wrong, you're going to find enemies even if you're a nice person. 
followers of Christ have to have the courage to separate themselves from the crowd who've rejected him. We don't have to be ugly about it, and we don't have to be proud about it. But we will have to take stands that are going to put us at odds with our current way of thinking. And this is always the case. I don't know if you've thought about this. Sometimes we think, well, we got such weirdness going on in our world today. It's never been like this before. That's not true. In Greece, they had some problems, massive problems, with things that are very near, nearly related to what we're going through today. And do you know what transformed that is Christians who are willing to stand up and share the gospel and preach what's right and live what's right. It transforms culture. The same thing in Rome is that we think that it was easy. It must have been easier for them to live for, uh, for Christ because it was so much closer to when Jesus walked on the earth. No, it was hard. I bet it was harder than it is for us, for many people. And it's still, in many parts of the world, it's hard for people to live for Christ. They're living in environments where they don't have the same freedoms we do. And I don't, I don't want to labor that other than to say that it's not always easy. And I think that increasingly we're going to have to pay a price to follow Christ. And if you're a parent, you're going to have to take some hard stands that don't just affect you but your kids. And that's not going to be easy. And you're going to be challenged with, what am I going to do about this? Am I going to cave to cultural pressure? Am I going to do the right thing? That's going to be a hard thing to do. But following Christ is worth it. So I'd just like you to know that uh, always, this is always the case, that Christ makes a distinction between the broad road and the narrow road. And these roads exist in every culture and every place around the world and in every time, too. Okay. Notice where it leads. One path leads to destruction. The destruction, this uh, destruction it talks about here in verse 13, it says the broad road leads to destruction. The, the wide gate, the broad road, leads to destruction. And the destruction is one that one experiences both complete and in process. It's talking of eternal destruction as punishment for the wicked. And uh, if we're just to be blunt about it here, the broad road leads to hell, to separation from God, to the contrast with life. If you notice in verse 14, one road leads to life. The opposite of that in verse 13 leads to death. Jesus is making contrasts here. One leads to life, the other leads to death. One leads to life, the other to destruction. And so if you want life, not just life now, but life eternal. And here's something to keep in mind. The word for life here isn't the word bios. It's not just talking about you'll have physical life. This is Zoe, okay? Uh, this is talking about that spiritual life that Christ gives us. And we don't wait for heaven or the new heavens, the new earth to have that life. You have it now if you're in Christ, okay? This is the road of life, Walking with Jesus is the road of life. Notice who travels it. Okay, he says uh, here, there's, some, there's many who enter through the wide gate. And verse 14 says, only a few find the narrow gate, the narrow road, the small gate. Okay, after seeking, this word for find is after seeking 
having found or discovered to come upon to learn the location of something either by intentional searching or by unexpected discovery. Now, here it's important to understand it's not the gate that's hidden. It's the obviousness that this is the right one that often is hidden. Are, are you with me? Like Jesus, Jesus said, uh, go into all the world and keep this a secret. Right? Or he said something else. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make it known. Shout it. Let people know that this is the road. And people are going to come and look at the gate and go, this is it? Yeah, this is it. It doesn't look like much, but there's the road that leads to life right there. Take this road. I remember hunting with someone a while back, and we were driving down the highway, and I won't tell you where it is because, you know, you don't give away your hunting spots. But he said, there it is. And I was like, where? There. And so we had gone around a corner, and he pointed back, and there's these four-wheeler tracks going up the side of a hill. And I'm like, I can't, can't lead anywhere. I don't know of anything that's out here. And pretty, pretty, uh, pretty soon we got up that path, and it opens up to this beautiful spruce forest and a great hunting ground. I'm not going to tell you where it's at. But it didn't look like much. But it was, it was awesome. And I challenge us to think about the road to life being that way, that there's few that find it. It's not few because um, it's hidden. It's few because those who find it often don't want to take it. Many do know uh, where it is, but they don't choose it. But it doesn't seem like the obvious choice. For one thing, why would so many people choose the other one? Why would so many choose the broad road. And sometimes we can reason that, like, if this is true, why aren't more people following Christ? That's a good question. I found a variety of reasons. Just look at the parable of the sower, for example. How many of, if we were to come up with a ratio, how many of the seeds took root and produced lasting fruit? Just the ratio based on the kind of seeds that were spread. One out of four, right? I know that's not an exact number, but Just think about that, 25%. Lots of seed sown. Not every seed produced what it was intended to, and a lot of it had to do with the soil, right? Now, there are other circumstances, other things were allowed to grow up that choked them out. Birds came along and stole them away. Some of them were trodden underfoot, and they fell on rocky soil. But uh, some, some took root, and they grew up. And so today, if you're thinking about why aren't, why aren't our churches filled up, not everybody sees the gate for what it is. Not everybody walks the road, and they don't see the beauty of what it's about. The right road is not just chosen because of its width, but because of where it leads. And I think we make the mistake of thinking the right road will be easy and obvious, but it's not. And one thing that will help us to stay on the narrow road is to keep in mind where the end is. Keep the end in view. Can the broad road be turned? It's a good question. Or do we show some? Jesus is certainly not trying to put a limit on our mission when he says this. You, you understand that when he says not many find it, he's not saying don't get your hopes up when you go preach the gospel. He's saying to us that 
there's a select few that see this for what it is. And he points out some things. If anything, he's telling us here not to discourage our mission, but he's telling us, one, the difficulty of the Christian way, that it's narrow and a difficult road. It's difficult. If you're experiencing difficulty today in your Christian walk and you're finding it hard to walk with God, you're not alone in this. Jesus said that it would be this way. He's not left you without help. It's not discouraging. We don't have to be defeated all the times. We're not victims. Come on, tell, tell yourself, I'm not a victim. I'm a victor. Okay, But there is difficulty in this. And sometimes I've, I've heard Christians, as, as a pastor, I've heard Christians say, what am I doing wrong that it's so hard? I don't know that you're doing anything wrong. It might be that you're doing the very things you need to do. And that's why it's hard. We have a devil on our back, don't we? He's, he's hounding us. We have culture at odds with us. We have to fight against our own very flesh in this. If you're not fighting against your flesh, you're not fighting the Christian fight. We have to resist the flesh. The spirit and the flesh are at war with one another, and we have to say no to ungodliness, and he's given us the grace and the power to do that. But it's, it's difficult, and I don't mean that we're defeated. I mean that don't be surprised if you find the Christian life hard. Okay. It's the narrow and the difficult road. When it says narrow, it intends for us to understand it's not just it's not just a measurement thing in terms of geometry. It's also telling us that in being narrow, it's constricted and it's difficult. Okay. The second, we see the scarcity of the Christian way. Few there be that find it. There's not everybody jumping on board with this. It is good news. But it's also an invitation to come and die. And and many people don't want to lay down their lives and follow Christ, even if the reward is as promised. The singleness, third is the singleness of the Christian way. They find it, not find them. There's several paths hidden around here. If you can find them, you can get to heaven. No, find it. Find it, the gate. Jesus. And then the correctness of the Christian way, it leads to life. It's not how good the road looks. The question is, where does it lead? One thing that really occurs to me in, in this passage, and we're, we're drawing this to a close, how timeless this is. No matter when or where a person lives, choosing to follow Christ somehow puts us at odds with our times and our culture. Do you know that it's inevitable that culture, which is constructed by humanity, will have some things in it, no matter what the culture is, that are, are not, that don't fit with the kingdom of God. Do you believe that? Let me give you some examples of that. I was thinking about how uh, people have always had to um, abandon the earthly vision and their cultures. Not everything, not everything, I'm not against culture. I'm saying that there are things that we have to say, no, I serve God first. And so these things have to be abandoned for the kingdom of God. That was true in first century Palestine. Do you remember one of Jesus's criticisms of the elders who were leading the country at that time? He warned them. He said, uh, you follow the traditions of men. Do you understand what that means? That means that they had these traditions that were built up that they had to lay down in order to really follow God, okay? And these are people who probably for the most part, their worldview is 
created from having a biblical understanding of things. And yet, there is some dross in the middle of that. There's some things that grew up in the middle of that that they had to say no to. It's true of first century Judaism, and it's also true of 21st century America. Okay? I know God has blessed our nation, but that doesn't mean everything we do is right. And we have to be cultural critics because we don't belong primarily to this country. We belong first to God. And so we have to be willing to be critics of our own culture. St. Augustine said, Two cities have been formed by two loves, one by the love of man and the other for the love of God. And so we always, as Christians, prefer, should choose to follow the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus' hearers would have been familiar with the image of two ways, one leading to life and the other to death. It was common in Judaism. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Choose life that you may live. Craig Keener and his... um, comments on this passage said, apparently most Jewish people believe that Israel as a whole would be saved and that few, the few who are lost would be the exceptions to the general rule. In other words, if you're Jewish, you're going to heaven, unless you're kind of real surly or a real rascal. Otherwise, you're in, okay? And what Jesus is saying is it's not based on that. It's not based upon who your parents were. Or whether you grew up in church or not, it's based upon who you know. And do you know the way to life? The rest of the sermon compares or contrasts two types of trees, the good and the bad, two types of builders, the wise and the foolish. And uh, he's calling us to make a decision. Robert Frost wrote a poem you've probably heard before, The Road Not Taken. It's kind of ironic and has some twists in it, but I think on the surface level, it communicates something here. Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just as fair because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for the passing there had warned them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay in leaves no step, had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. Shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. I hope that's true of you, that you've taken the one less traveled, that you've chosen the small gate and the narrow road that leads to life. I can see three possibilities from these verses when we think about our own situation. First, I could see this being a comfort. If you're walking the road less traveled, this can be encouragement if you're finding it hard. If you're finding the road that you're walking on with Jesus hard, Don't look for another one. This is it. You found it. Okay? You found it. Sometimes it's hard. Stay on it. Can I encourage you with that? Second, uh, maybe you're finding this to be a corrective. If you're living an appeasing life with the world around you, and you find no distinction between you and everybody else who's on the road to destruction, 
I would challenge you to ask the question, am I on the road that leads to life? Because we can't live in appeasement with the world. Do we try to reach the world? Yes. Do we love them? Yes. Do we do everything that we can to win them? Like Paul who said, I become all things to all men. He's not compromising his faith. He's trying to reach people, sure. But at the end of the day, we have to realize it's two different roads. And he's made a distinction. And if we're not seeing that we're on a different road, where it's going, let's make a correction today and get back on the road. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that, uh, that all Scripture is God-breathed. And one of the things it says is it's useful, it's profitable for correcting. Correcting means getting people who are steered off the road back onto the right road. Okay, so let's, let's hear it as a corrective. And then the third possibility might be that you've never taken a step through the gate before. You've never trusted Jesus as your Lord You've never taken the chance to walk down that road. In that case, it's a call to you to enter through the narrow gate. Are you willing to serve Christ if the world doesn't? And are you willing to suffer reproach for Christ if that's what it means? Can you be faithful to him under trying circumstances when it's not popular or acceptable? The world's ethics run a different way. Can you do that without making yourself a victim? I would challenge us. Let's choose the narrow gate and walk the narrow road. Amen. Thanks for your attention today. Let's stand. This is the call to discipleship that each one of us have, and we all have to make the decision for ourselves which gate we'll go through and which road we'll travel. Would you choose the one that leads to life or... Will we go merrily down our easy path to destruction? Amen. Father, I just ask today that you would challenge our hearts, Lord. This is, uh, this, these are your words. There's two different gates, two different paths. One leads to destruction, one leads to life. And you're challenging us to choose the one that would follow you. And if nothing else is heard and if, All of this has been a scramble. Help us to hear today that you are truly calling us to a certain kind of life. And it's a life of discipleship and it's a life of purpose. It's a life of progress in which one day is built upon another as we come closer and closer to you. I pray that you help us to see it. Lord, there's some that just living day to day and going to work and going through routine, they're they're tourists walking in circles letting life come to them. I pray that you help us to shake awake and and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus, truly committed and open to all that you have for us, surrendered, repentant, humble, walking the path of righteousness, living differently, letting you supernaturally change our lives from the inside out. We pray that you help us with that. God, if there's somebody here that's in that category today and then and you're speaking to them right now and there's a conviction a witness in their heart that this is the case i pray that you help them to make the decision if you're you're hearing god say that to you today would you just say lord i want to walk your path i want to enter through the gate that you provide would you forgive me for my sins would you be my lord and savior i want to walk with you i want something supernatural to take place today in me a change a transformation
I want to be a new person in you. I want to go a different direction. Like Loreen committed just this last, within this last year. And we could have a whole life behind us of living a certain way and in a moment make a decision that we're going to follow Jesus and will change everything for us, change our destiny. If you'd like to pray a prayer like that, just say, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner in need of your help and forgiveness. Change me and come into my life and be my Lord. Maybe some here are travelers down the road. You're travailing through. You're fighting. You seem to be with against the enemy and You're trying to take stands that are are hard for culture and for your children. Maybe you're finding it difficult. You need encouragement today that this road is not easy. God's there to help you. He's walking with you. This uh, journey is not just you. It's you and God walking together on it. I challenge you. Would you... If you need special prayer or any kind of uh, encounter with God today to find encouragement, I want to invite you to the altar to respond and just say, Lord, help me as I travel down the path you've set out for me. And God's got something for you. He's got a race marked out for you, a path marked out for you. It's not the same as another Christian. God's got something uniquely for you, a journey, a road a narrow road. But you're saying today, Lord, help me. And this would be a great time to come to the altar for that. Our worship team's going to lead us in some music, and we're going to sing, and you respond to the Lord, would you? And uh, ask for his help the way that you need it. Um, But uh, if we face challenging days ahead, we need to be committed to the road we're on. I encourage you to do that. Let's take a few moments for prayer before we go. I also feel like there might be somebody here that has chosen that narrow road and you've started to go down that road and it got difficult and you felt like God may have failed you or you failed him and you've just kind of squatted down right where you were and that's where you've been for a long time, just letting fear grip you. And I challenge your perspective on what had happened, whatever that event was or a series of events, to trust in the Lord, to get up, And not be complacent just sitting on the side of that narrow road in the comfort and the familiarity. But to get up and trust God. We heard today at the beginning of our service that he is a God that provides. He sees that path before you and he will provide the way for you to make it through to the end. To see that light and to follow, as Pastor said, with him. So I invite you to pray as we sing.